Welcome to the Nobody's Podcast, a Dead Men Podcast. Dead Men exist to equip disciples of Jesus and grow church leaders. Hey everybody, welcome to the Nobody's Podcast. My name is Taylor Daniel. I'm your host on this magical journey of the little minutia of ministry. Uh, Today, you know, second episode, so you guys should feel very um, honored to be here. I'm going to be talking with uh, Reverend Dr. Bruce Clark. He's got a doctorate in New Testament studies, comes over uh, from across the pond in England, originally by way of Montana, I think. Um, Is that right, Bruce? That's right. All right. Yeah. Hey, I I guess that's my uh, very unofficial way of saying welcome (laughs) to the Nobody's Podcast. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. So, um, you know, I just wanted to get you on. You are the second episode. We're just trying to talk for those of you who have never heard us before. Um, this is a podcast about ministry and uh, just devoted to the idea that uh, it's amazing to be a John Piper, to be a Matt Chandler, but also ministry is a bit more complex in the real world. And there's a lot of different ways that people serve God's kingdom and that God uh, is moving his work forward. And it's done through the local church and through local pastors. So at Deadman, we're always trying to be supplemental, but we are not your local church. Uh, and so as we interview pastors, we hope it makes you a better churchgoer and all of that. But uh, I'm sorry, Bruce, I should have done the mission statement before I started talking. No, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you are the pastor of Good Shepherd, which is a Presbyterian church in the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America, in South County, St. Louis, right? That's correct, yeah. Yep. How long, how long have you been there? I've been there just um, just over a year, Taylor. I started in February of last year, so it's been, uh, it's been a, good, a great first year. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. So, um, you know, before we dive into all the church stuff, I was just going to ask if you maybe wanted to give us a little bit of your backstory, you know, talk about, uh, how you got from Montana to England and the PCA and were you raised Presbyterian, you know, just give us the whole bit. Right. Yeah. No, let's see. So, um, yeah, this, the, just briefly, I, I had the pleasure of growing up in Montana, big sky country. Um, I grew up in a family of, uh, four kids and, my parents came to faith in Christ right around the time that they, um, right around the time they got married. And so I grew up in a wonderful Christian home. My parents uh, were part of a, a church plant of a, a Presbyterian church in Montana. And this is back in the day. And uh, so I grew up in a wonderful Christian home, uh, just a very stereotypical line that you hear uh, people say, I never knew a day when I didn't know the Lord Jesus. Um, and uh, just a uh, group and was, uh, um, yeah, I mean, just, I could explain the journey of that, but never, but, but never really walked away, but, uh, deepened my faith, uh, over the years. It was in, it was in, uh, college. I went to a military academy, uh, in Colorado Springs for my, uh, undergrad. And, uh, it was there that I sensed the real call to ministry. Uh, I have an older brother who, uh, who's a minister, uh, as well. And he was, about six or seven years, he's about six or seven years older than I am. He, uh, he just, he just, for some reason, he knew that I was called to ministry and kept pushing me toward that. And, uh, and one, th- one thing led to another. And so I, I did, uh, five years active duty Air Force, uh, in, in Florida. And, uh, during that time, uh, just served as a lay, uh, lay leader in the church, just doing everything I could get my hands on. Um, uh, so my wife and I did that. We I got married just right after right after the uh, right after college, and so we um, we kind of knew that we were headed to ministry, and so we did that. Served five years in Florida from about 2000 2005, and then uh, headed off to the seminary. And yeah. uh, that was uh, that was 05 to 08. Went to Covenant Seminary uh, here in St. Louis. So this is, hey. coming, this is this is yeah, that's right. This is my second go uh, here in. Um, in St. Louis, and uh, then after that, right around halfway through um, a Covenant Seminary, I just had—it's funny—I had one—I had one professor say, "Hey, have you thought about church planting?" And then another say, "Hey, have you thought about uh, further uh, grad graduate work?" 
And I just um, want to ask you yeah. as a quick aside. Sure. Was the professor who asked you about church planting um, Phil Douglas? It was indeed. Yeah, good guy. Because it's always <laughs> Phil Douglas. <laughs> uh, sorry, right. guys. That's kind of an insider. But um, sure. Phil Douglas is, uh, you know, I, I guess I can't remember what his title was. But until very recently, he was the head of, you know, sort of the practical ministry side of things with students at Covenant. And uh, he has a whole class on spiritual formation with uh, diagnostic tests and uh, stuff like this about your aptitudes and gifts. And then he has a meeting with everybody. And the joke is that, you know, pretty much um, 4.5 fifths of people, he just tells you should plant a church. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's right. So we, we, uh, so that was, um, so I, you know, I wanted to, uh, both of those seem interested to me. And so we just, I won't go into the details of the story. Long story short, we ended up after, after Covenant Seminary heading over to the UK. Um, and I, I did grad work there for about four years and, uh, yeah. and then, uh, came back and started into vocational ministry. And I've been a number of different places since, and most recently, uh, St. Louis. Yeah. So, well, thank you. That's a lot. Uh, I actually was in Colorado Springs this past week. Um, oh, okay. Beautiful out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's where the uh, diocesan sort of synod meeting uh, was because I go to an Anglican church. But, uh, yeah, so you, did you do a lot of flying? Oh, no. I wish I could say I did. You know, I was part of – I would kind of joke – in the Air Force, we kind of jokingly refer to those who are in the chair force – um, oh. <laughs> so I, or we, as soon as we say I flew, you know, I flew a desk is how we say yeah. it. So yeah, no, I did uh, research, uh, research and development work uh, in the air force, um, just oh, okay. d- designing, design, designing weapon systems, the things that do you think, you know, uh, do you think guys like, uh, in the air force, they tend to pick up girls by, um, overselling their, their role in the chair force sometimes. <laughs> I w- wouldn't be surprised at all. <laughs> yeah. They're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm an airman. Could That's, you call yourself an airman, I guess? Is that a uh, yeah, kind of a yeah, gloss? I think, yeah. I mean, it's been a while, but I would say that all Air Force guys can call themselves airmen. Uh, but, but yeah... So yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> it's better than chairman. You know, that's right. Got, that's right. Well, actually, I guess yeah. Now chairman's kind of that's got some bad <laughs> connotations, I guess. Oh man, uh, are there chairmen in the PCA? Is there like a chairman of a committee and stuff? Uh yes, uh, yes. There All right, are, then yeah. you guys are redeeming the concept. There you like go. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Um, okay, well that's really cool. So your doctorate is in New Testament studies. Um, but was there anything a little more specific where you kind of focused in, I think, on the Second Temple period? Was that right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so very, very generically, I studied um, that era, the, the, the first century world, um, specifically in the New Testament and, and studying Paul. So I was um, my specific my, the, the joy of, of my my Ph.D. Uh, just um, time frame was I was able to study quite a bit, quite a few different things. But um, it was the uh, the actual focus of my thesis was on Paul and, and his view of suffering, um, kind of the yeah. interface of Christology, suffering, and mission. And so those those three areas um, interface a lot in Paul as he obviously yeah. he's suffering himself. Uh, his, his his message is Christ, and he certainly. Um, as a, in terms of mission, he's the apostle to the Gentiles, and so I wanted to explore the the the, the give and take, the, the exchange of those three areas. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, those are those are three pretty important uh, concepts in church work. Uh, I, I'm just curious how how you feel now as a local pastor, having a PhD does or uh, does not help you. Um, you know, cause I, I can imagine obviously when you're preaching, there's a balance between trying to educate and help people understand and go deeper, yeah. but also making things relatable. So do you think, um, yeah, if you just want to talk about that generally, how, how the PhD can fit into the pastor scholar. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Taylor, I, I would, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, I try to answer it, uh, concisely here. It's kind of a complicated question, at least for in my own experience. Um, you don't need to be concise, man. We're trying okay. to put out content. Yeah. You know? Okay, great. Well, I would just say, um, that, that on the one end, there are some quote unquote pitfalls of it all in the, in the sense that I think, I mean, I think this is true for any preacher, but I think it's true, especially when you, the, the further you study in, in that you realize the distance between, let's say the first century world of the new Testament and the 21st century world that we live in. And so every Sunday you're having to, 
you know, I think of, um, you know, think of uh, John Stott's great book on preaching between two worlds. And so you're, you're having to, to, to you know, to really do a more incredible work of cross-cultural, um, you know, translation, uh, and, and just communication. And so, um, I just think the, the, and the, often the more you understand of the first century world and of certainly the, the, the Greek text or, or in the old Testament, the Hebrew text, it's, um, it's, it's, it's challenging to, um, to keep things simple to, to, because uh, really obviously the goal of preaching is, is, is truly edification, uh, in the most, uh, holistic sense of the word. We want to feed the sheep, right? We want to, uh, mm-hmm. to equip and edify. Uh, and I, my, my own personal, um, sort of quest in all of this has been, uh, my initial reason for going to the PhD was personal. It was, it was spiritual. It was, um, I mean, I had intellectual or you might say, you know, um, scholarly questions to ask, but there was more behind it than just simply uh, curiosity or intellectual investigation. It was something about this moves me, this concerns me as a human. Uh, and so I think when you begin to approach uh, scholarship from that perspective, that uh, when it comes to teaching or preaching, that that there's not like a, uh, or at least there, you know, for the most part, there isn't a dichotomy or some sort of distance between the the research that you're doing and uh, the actual output in terms of ministry and, and counseling. I mean, like I, a great example is just you know I I regularly I I usually read two psalms a day and I read them in Hebrew and I and that that to mm-hmm. me that the, the the engagement with the psalms in Hebrew is is deeply edifying, very nurturing, uh, very doxological. Uh, it feeds my soul. And I'm able yeah. to bring that on to, to, to you know, the, the person, the, the, the lay person in the pew. Um, but it's just, it's, it's, I would just say it's, um, you know, my, my, one of my tragic flaws in preaching is that I just, is I, it's just, it's just too much, you know, I've got too much to say. And so usually I, li- I like that you kind of package it as a, um, tragic flaw. Cause you're, you're just like, well, that's all she wrote. You know, that's just what's going to happen. <laughs> Well, it's, uh, yeah, I, honestly, I really do try to work. So I really think for me, especially, I mean, critiquing my own preaching, I think less is more. And I think in general, people can only handle so much. And, yeah. and what, what is that bottom line that I want to communicate to the congregation to Yeah, that's a good, a good aside to, to yeah. people. I, I definitely affirm that because I'm, I'm a bit of a talker as well. And, you know, just in the preaching labs and the experience somewhat here, you know, I think if you're a talker and you're in the ministry or just a lay person leading Bible study, realizing that uh, to say anything, sometimes you just got to say something and not everything, you know? Yeah, that's right. No, I, th- I think, uh, you know, you know my, my wife, Sarah, loves to say that my best sermons are uh, the ones that I teach my children at, at, in the evenings. I've got, got two, I got four, uh, four kids, got, uh, twin girls um, who are just we're almost 14. Mm-hmm. They'll be 14 years shortly. And then I got a little guy who's seven and a little girl who's uh, four. And when I, when I, when I do the devotionals with a seven and four year old, um, my wife, Sarah will be often be in the vicinity overhearing. And she just says, Hey, that, that all, everything you just said that preaches. <laughs> so, so yeah. it's, which is to me a, a huge ministry inside and, and just in terms of preaching, etc. the more that you can actually, Aim. I do that actually in my sermon prep. I often think, how can I, how would I explain this to my four-year-old, to my seven-year-old, my fourteen-year-old? So yeah, yeah. It's um, it, it is kind of amazing how much preaching actually ends up being an act of service, which is what it's supposed to be, and not what you necessarily conceive of it as. But you realize it's geared towards the people and not towards you know pontificating just randomly. Yeah. And I, and I just, I would, I would add to that. I would say it's, it's directed toward like, uh, the people in your pew. Um, and I think that sounds really obvious at one level, but I just think great preaching is, is don't get me wrong. It's not an either or, I mean, there's preaching that can be speaking that, that anyone can download and listen to from wherever. And, and it's, it's applicable. Uh, but I just think it's really beautiful when a pastor knows his people, uh, knows his specific neighborhood, his specific context, knows their narratives and their stories. Yeah. And he knows how he's not, he's not, I mean, I just, uh, you know, he's not trying to imitate 
someone else. I mean, everyone takes time to find your voice and, and part of finding your voice as a preacher is imitating, you know, preachers that you love. And I think that's, that's, that's a great thing. But I, I, you know, to me, to be able to preach to, I, I can look out at my congregation. I can, I, I can see persons. I see, I, I, I can see their wounds, their joys, their, their defeats, all of that stuff. And it's, it creates an intimacy and a, um, an applicability that I think is, um, yeah. is, is, uh, a great, it's a great privilege as a local pastor to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, <laughs> I, I totally agree. And I, and I think that's, you know, that's definitely what we're trying to do here is to help people see that church is, uh, is meant to be highly relational and, and involved and intimate and, uh, you know, obviously with people who merit that sort of trust, but that that's where, you know, the real change sort of happens. I, I wanted to ask you though, um, this is so interesting on the new Testament study stuff. Um, if you just had an idea of, say somebody is listening to this and they're getting the mixed messages, right? There's the new perspective on Paul and like all the good stuff that you can get from NT, right? But also the stuff they're not as sure about. And then there's, you know, the war of words. Where do you recommend um, people dive in if they want to learn more about this sort of stuff? Do you have like resources in mind? Uh, so just Taylor, you're asking specifically with regard to the new perspective on Paul or, or Paul in general. Yeah. Or? Well, well to that, and yeah, sorry. That was no, it's okay. to, to that, but also, you know, just like maybe somebody sees a Bart Ehrman book. I just think new Testament studies, there's such a, you can come across one book and, you know, can yeah. we trust the gospels? And suddenly you're like, where do I go to respond to this? Right. right. And, and where do I look into these things? Um, just if you have like resources that you think are kind of your go-tos to help yeah. people in your church and things with that. Yeah, that's a really good question. I wish I had a, a better answer for you in some ways. I and mean, I've just, over the years, I've just collected various resources for my people. Um, I wish I, I mean, obviously there are the major hubs online that, that you would know and others would know, you know, just uh, everything from Gospel Coalition to, um, you know, just the various uh, um, monergism and the various websites like that that, uh, that are yeah. out there. I, I don't, I mean, I, I just, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good, it's, you know, it, honestly, it is, um, it's kind of an interesting question because it really is overwhelming, uh, when you're a lay person and you're, you're trying to think and tackle an issue and, and it's almost, it's almost death by Google, right? Where, where you, you have <laughs> so many options that you're like, I don't even know where to begin. And so I think it's great for, um, a local pastor, to, um, to, for himself, for himself as, as, as he's wrestling through, um, you know, those questions for, for himself, or if you're a ministry leader, um, you know, say, you know, on staff somewhere, uh, I mean, just, those, those are issues that, that I think even as a pastor to, uh, are difficult to wade through, uh, just because there's so much that's, that's out there. And all I would just say is mm-hmm. relying on, um, you know, seminary professors or, um, you know, persons who, that, that you trust in terms of, of ministry experience and care. Uh, so I, I, other than this, a specific issue, um, I mean, in terms of the new perspective itself, there's, um, uh, Stephen Westerholm has got a, a book. It's, it's a little, I wouldn't say it's dated by any sense, but it's called, um, I think it's perspectives on Paul old and new, something along those lines. Uh, oh, okay. Westerholm is, as a, and he, he, he gives, um, I think some really good, um, you know, fair perspective, uh, just discussion on it and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good scholar name, Westerholm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, he, he, so Westerholm's, uh, for the most part, yeah, perspectives old and new on Paul. Um, and that's, that's kind of a, a classic read in terms of as he looks at, the, the debate, uh, et cetera. Again, it's, it's 15 years old, but it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's a work that, that I think is relatively accessible. And, um, so yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, you know, the Bible was written a while ago and it's still pretty relevant. Yeah. So. <laughs> there's, right. there's always an argument to be made for an old book, I guess. Um, yeah, that's, that's so interesting. You, you did a good job with that. Cause I just threw like the whole world at you in that question, but, um, no, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. New Testament studies. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm just still in awe of the fact that uh, if you got a doctorate, that means you did the impossible and you actually kept up your Greek after, you know, the first couple of courses. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, I, I pretty much just stand amazed, but yeah, I, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Um, sure. while we're on this subject, do you just have any general thoughts for people in your church or people listening um, who might be considering MDivs and things like this of how you go about thinking about possible postgraduate work and doctoral things? Because there, there obviously is a need. Yeah. There will always be a need for good Christian responses to the philosophical and um, you know theological textual issues yeah. that are going on in the day. Um but also that's not everybody's calling. So, you know, right. do you have any reflections from your own personal discernment of that call or just places sure. you start with someone? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So, I, I mean, I think, again, I'll just speak autobiographically here. I, I would just say that um, I think when it comes to just ministry in general, yeah, having that both internal call, sense of call, and that external sense of call. And, of course, if you're if you're married or, you know, or, or intending to marry, uh, that, that that would be something that, that – you would want to walk that decision, you know, with your spouse. Um, and, uh, and I would just, I would do it with a ton of prayer. I mean, to me, that's the only way, a lot of prayer and a lot of counsel. Yeah. And when it comes to the actual, um, navigation of grad, further grad studies, um, I would, encourage, I would encourage a couple things. One, um, just a, a genuine humility. Um, and what I mean by that is I, I think, I think that there can be uh, two ditches that we can run into when we think about grad work. Um, and the first is one where people go into grad studies and they get so taken by the academy, taken by the world of, of academics, taken by their supervisor who seems to know everything, um, taken by a certain movement or a new movement within the field and they yeah. uh, kind of lose sight of their moorings a little bit, um, which is a very scary thing. I mean, to me, like, I, in fact, I, I, I think that's actually very, in some ways, a very healthy thing to be, to be interacting with, um, you know, in, a, in an environment where you're trying to figure, wow, well, what do I really believe? And this is, is what I have already yeah. believed. Is that still true? So, but I think you can, you can obviously, you, you know, I've, I've, had a few friends who've actually, you know, lost their faith in that process. So that's a very scary thing. On the other end, uh, but the other, the other yeah. ditch, so to speak, Taylor, would be a ditch in which, um, yeah, people go into, sometimes they go into grad studies um, bent on trying to demonstrate how right their tradition is. Um, they want they want to defend a thesis that they've practically already. They want to find facts that prove a thesis that they've already decided is true. They want to become Doctor Calvinism. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I just and so I I think just uh, really pursuing um, grad work with a humility that is rooted in, a, in an allegiance to Christ, a, a faithfulness to Christ, you know, discipleship, but also is a humility that is not pretending to have, um, all the answers, um, not pretending. Mm -hmm. So I just, I mean, I, I guess I, I, part, part of my challenge personally of like was, you know, in thinking about doing a PhD was, is, is it necessary? I mean, hasn't it already all been written? Aren't there enough commentaries? Aren't there enough books out there? And I just, I'm in my, um, we can talk about this more in terms of evangelical scholarship in general, but I would just say that I just think there's huge need that I'm always amazed at how um, challenging issues are, how there are actually things I think that haven't been written on or, or things that have been written on quite poorly or that are ongoing in discussion and uh, are just are just really, uh, really important. And we need people who have those sort of research skills, uh, and yeah. who, and who want to do it for the sake of the church. I and mean, I just, I mean, even now, so I'm, you mentioned earlier, I'm a Presbyterian minister. Uh, I'm serving right mm -hmm. now I'm in my Presbyterian, I'm serving on a committee and it's just enormously helpful to be able to bring that skill set to bear on, on pressing issues that the, the evangelical church today is facing, whether it's, um, you know, just contemporary missions in terms of how do we engage culture um, in areas of sexuality, right. areas of gender, areas of, um, I mean, just all the hot button, quote, quote, hot button things of race and racism. I mean, these, these are such important issues today and to take, yeah. to take Paul and to be able to read him 
in light of contemporary racial, uh, ethnic um, strife yeah, conflict yeah. Is, is a hugely uh, uh, important thing. I was wow, yeah. I'm so glad you brought that back up because I I definitely want to ask you about that. Um, I can't remember his name, but are you familiar with uh, the story that happened maybe a month or two ago now about that that missionary kid who wanted to go to that remote island off of India and got uh, speared to death? You know, actually, I can't, I can't say that I am. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm I'm glad to hear that you're not in the internet outrage cycle, um, but 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 it, it really did, and, and I'm trying to be very fair to the detractors. Of, this kid had some detractors because it seemed like he was a very genuine, you know, zealous evangelical guy who wanted yeah. to, um, you know, do missions, and that he'd worked with some missions agencies. But there was a lot of hand wringing, obviously, from people who are more secular, but also from you know a lot of corners of you know Christian Christian evangelical circles and things that were basically just sort of to varying degrees, I think talking about the interplay between missions from like Western countries and, um, uh, colonialism or, you know, the exporting, um, and the baptizing of like Western values as opposed in the name of Christianity and things yes. like this, uh, in your study of Paul, um, yeah, do you just have any bait? I know it's such a this is like a whole podcast topic in itself. But do you have um yeah, just some passing thoughts on how people can think through those things? Yeah, let's uh what's such a great such a great question. Um I, I, I um yeah, again Paul is Paul in some ways is a great um it's a great it's a great sort of case study in a lot of this. Obviously you have passages like First Corinthians nine where Paul will speak of how he became all things to all people. And yeah. just the, the extent to which um, I think Paul was deeply, deeply impacted by the um, just by the for him, the just the incredibly counterintuitive nature of how God expresses his power in the world. I think I think when he realized that it is through a cross, it is through weakness, it is mm-hmm. through service, it is through incarnation and you know, walking among and listening and, and, and uh, coming alongside and even under that, um, that God expresses his power, uh, that, um, that, that, that was just revolutionary for Paul. And I think it, I mean, when he says in St. Corinthians uh, four, you know, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves, I mean, the, wow. the, yeah. don't don't lose sight of the, the status connotations there. He's saying we're actually under you. We're actually lesser in in a, in a in a certain way. Yes, we're all made in God's image, but but we are socially placing ourselves, um, you know, in a way that is is that is emphasizing how we want to uh, we want to um, be under you. And, and what that I mean? Don't get me wrong. That what does that look? There's a lot of questions about mm-hmm. that, but there's a lot of, there's a tremendous sense, uh, in Paul of an awareness of just how far, right. Christ goes when he says he became obedient to death. He, 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 he took the very form of a slave. I was just about and, to say the F- Philippians too. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. So, so like a voluntary, it's, mm-hmm. it's not saying that you actually are lesser in status, but it's saying it's a voluntary reduction of your status for the sake of neighbor love. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. In fact, I, I, this is actually touches on a, a, to to me, one of the most fascinating aspects of New Testament ecclesiology, which is, um, just the way that, I mean, you, you, for all of Paul's writings, it's amazing because Paul is like, he's constantly, his, on his mind, it's just about, it's about church formation. He's constantly, he's writing letters, trying to grow these churches and trying to give them here, here are the gospel and here are the community implications of the gospel. That's what Paul is also often doing. And, yeah. and when he, and, and you just don't see in Paul, and this may sound controversial, but you just don't see in Paul an egalitarian impulse. You don't see this, Hey, we're all equal. Um, let's, let's just love, let's, let's embrace our equality and, and, and whatever. No, he constantly says, actually, we're all slaves of one another. It's Why would you sense. think that would be controversial? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but it's it's really it's really an amazing thing. Paul will will emphasize uh, just how he says, you know, you're not, you know, just looking at Philippians two, he says, um, each of you should consider yourselves, uh, uh, you know, as as I mean, as it's translated differently, different uh, 
different versions. Um, but, you know, he says, he's basically, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Um, and he, yeah. it's so cool. Let me just, let me just check it out here. Philippians two, three, um, in, you know, NIV is in humility, value others above yourselves. Uh, ESV is uh, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Yeah. You so, had me worried when you started off with the nearly inspired version, but uh, <laughs> you know. yes, no. So I, I just, no, I think that's a really. I mean, Romans twelve are the passages uh, where Paul emphasizes um, that even you know I, I, I define anyone to try to draw an org chart of that when everyone is lower than everyone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the, hey, we've we're only two episodes in, but no one has ever defied anyone to to draw a chart before. So I think, uh, you know, so, episode by episode, brick by brick, we're creating the most fascinating theological podcast in America. So good. Yeah. No. So I, I just yeah. you know back to the, the missions question. I, I, I do. I think it's just a tremendous amount of to me the incarnational approach is one of just tremendous listening and, and learning and um, and a. And a and uh, you know, I think you know, Jesus, even when when he does something like you know, ask for, ask the woman for water. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think that's a very profound thing that he is tired, that he's um, hungry and thirsty, and he asks this this uh, this you know a woman, um, a Samaritan woman, uh, with yeah. with certainly a you know, of course he knew this, but she had a you know. Um, her her sexual history was was um, incredibly complicated, and uh, and 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 Jesus um, want he needs something from her. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. 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 Wow. That everybody can everybody can serve. <laughs> yeah. And, amen. and everybody can be empowered too. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's right. Wow. That's that's awesome. And 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 also good job sticking with the point as yeah. I try to de- <laughs> derail you several times. There. No, that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I think that's huge. You know, the thing you said about the egalitarian bit, uh, or it, Paul just not having that mindset. Um, I heard a sermon one time from Russ Whitfield, who's another PCA guy, if you know him, and he and he basically he was talking more broadly. And he said tolerance is not a Christian virtue because the Christian ethic is love, and tolerance just falls short of that because um, obviously the you know the more conservative bit of like, hey, you you don't tolerate if somebody's doing something wrong, uh, you know, because you love them and you want to care for them but also beyond that uh framing just the the idea that tolerance you know accepts a degree of us not being in community together right we all right. just need to be able to get along basically and i, th- I think that's what you yeah. were kind of saying right yeah, that that's, when that's, paul's yeah. not egalitarian you're not talking about the gender pay gap so much you're just talking about the fact that paul wants us to get really to really be united yeah, that, that, that's right. And I, I, you know, I don't know how far we want to go down this path, but you can read a classic work like uh, Alexis de Tocqueville's uh, Democracy in America. And Tocqueville will just, I mean, he will actually, I mean, for all that, that he admires and loves about America, he will, he expresses significant concern over um, just the, the, the Americans, America's, uh, or Americans' infatuation with equality, and says, you know, your, he says, your, this, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you know, your zeal, even your lust for equality will drive you into a radical individualism that will isolate everybody. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's the 18, I want to say 1820s or 30s. You know, the, how prophetic is that? I mean, he's basically saying, if, if everyone's equal, that means that, um, and if equality is depends on no one serving anybody, that means that everyone has to serve themselves, and it means that everyone. That has second to be- part is is big, uh, I guess. Yeah, because <laughs> you're yeah. right. I, I kind of let us into a minefield, but no, you know, it's not no, saying it's people aren't equal, but it's saying that the goal is is service. You know, but service out of out of love for neighbor. Yeah, absolutely. So um, not, not autonomy. As yeah, yeah. Goal. So, but yeah. So, but 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 Tocqueville is really. I mean, he just really nails it. I think when he just basically because he talks about how European aristocratic cultures uh, are, are bound up because of these various hierarchies, and and, and there's authors in those hierarchies. There's obligations. And, um, and yeah. of course that's not, he's not proposing that as an alternative necessarily. He's just saying, what do you do then when no one's beholden anyone else and there's no one serving anybody? 
what will, what will, how will come of that? And I think there's, that's, I mean, you can, the, 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 the decline in American culture of community in the last 30 to 50, well, 50 to 60 years is, is well documented and, and terrifying. I mean, it's, I regularly say people in ministry, at least, I, I just regularly come across persons who, um, who literally have no idea how lonely they are. I mean, some do, and they feel it, but a lot of them, they, they mm-hmm. just, they've become used to living a very, um, a very lonely existence. And it's only when they become exposed for any length of time to, to real community, like a small group or whatever that they have, they go, wow, this is, this is, I had no idea that, that life could be like this. So, yeah, 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 no, that, wow, that's huge. Um, I'll tell you what, how about we do a lightning round? That sound okay? All right, great. Lightning round. Okay, lightning round. It, it doesn't have to be. Some of these are yes and no, and some of these are just you know, give me a quick blurb. So okay, you're sure. from Montana, hockey. Is this the most precise sport of all time, or is this fake news? Because <laughs> I think the I think the announcer is is normally surprised when they score, and that's concerning <laughs> to me. Yeah, that's I. You know, I'm probably. I mean, you think you think from Montana, I would be qualified to to answer a question like that. I I, I would probably have to to take a pass on that one. <laughs> okay, well, to mix metaphors, I am all about dunking on hockey. I there think you hockey go. Is, <laughs> hockey is dumb. Yeah. And uh, you know, if some of you dead men think I'm wrong, post your sick parkour hockey videos in the on the Instagram feed. But okay, <laughs> uh, Taco Bell, Mexican food, yes or no? Oh no. No. Yeah, that's that's obvious. <laughs> All right. So what is an 80s or 90s album? Because that's back in right now uh, that people need to dig up again. 80s or 90s album. Oh, yeah. The the uh, the, the dig out again. Um, let me think here. Actually, I should. Boy, I should know. I, I listen to a lot of 70s, 80s, 90s. Uh, the classic rock. I should have like something on the top of my tongue here. I would I say something like, you know, if you start working out again, pull out the, the Rocky story, you know, which is a compilation <laughs> of all the Rocky movies from, from that time frame. So that would be, it's not an album per se, it's a soundtrack yeah. or a collection of soundtracks. So why don't we try the Rocky story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You picked the soundtrack, which means you're very secure in yourself. That's um, right. yeah. Let's see. All right. So you've been across the pond. Here's a question. Um, I, a twofold. So a, ton of british actors are being picked to play americans and i don't see any americans by and large being picked to play british people um (laughs) is this self-hating or are british people better (laughs) uh god she was um you know i have no idea that's that's so funny i i know i i guess i but you're probably, you're probably wanting a funny answer. My, my serious answer is that with the, just the dominance of American culture being piped out to the rest of the world, I think a lot of Brits can speak uh, an English, an, an American accent than Americans can speak a British accent. So, so I, I wonder if that's oh. not. And, and so many, so many. I mean, think of. I mean, so many uh, folks in Hollywood are. They're that great combination of of. I mean, they're so think of think of like Christopher Nolan, yeah. right? Christopher Nolan is is. I'm pretty sure he's 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 uh, he's certainly British. I want to say he's English, and uh, yeah. but, but but then also spent a significant amount of, of his his life and, and I think I want to say childhood as well in America. So you have this cross, kind of the best of both worlds, um, and so. So yeah, um, so wow, I, I, was... I, I, I tended when I was over there, I tended to find quite a few Brits who could uh, quite impressively imitate a, an American accent. But that, that was just my specific exposure, so I'm not gonna, I don't want to generalize yeah. at all. So. Well, that, that was a that was a more profound answer than I, I was just looking to dunk on British people too. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly feisty today. Um, there you well, go. I get on CNN, you know, get on. Okay, uh, Grandpa, I I you turn on CNN. And there's just some lady, some British person, talking about the Dow Jones Industrial. Yeah, and right. Like, <laughs> That's pretty good. Like, don't we have an entire state of Ohio where no one has an accent? And, like, yeah. we can – or it's – I think it's Ohio. There's somewhere in the Midwest they send them to get rid of their accents is what I – you know. Well, yeah. No, I, I want to say that I think the uh, – the, 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 that there, there are certain certain English accents, especially that tend to have uh, they they're, they're seen as um, 
as more authoritative or, or intellectual. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, of, uh, ooh, this is a good, um, back yeah. when that Bible mini series came out and Noah was Scottish, was that true or false? <laughs> was that a thing? Yeah, that's a thing. That's, that's, Do we have uh, any documentation in the archeological record on that? Oh, uh, that's, that's exactly. Yeah. That's funny. If we found a few ancient, uh, you know, um, you know, MP3s and we were able to, uh, you know, find an ancient iPhone and we think, <laughs> Well, the papyri has uh, accent marks, right? That's so. right. Yeah, exactly. So it calls for a brogue. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, you know, I I trusted the process and I trusted the creative people behind it. So I was like, well, I did, I didn't know that. That's that's interesting too. <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. Well, that was not very lightningy at the end, but that was my fault. So good job. You survived. Um, I just kind of have one more um, question before you as we kind of round third and head for home. Okay. Uh, yeah, so just generally, I wanted to talk with you for a second uh, about the state of apologetics. Yeah. Um, obviously, increasingly in a, a post-Christian culture, which is very different than a pre-Christian pagan culture, though there's some overlap, you know. I mean, people more and more, even if they don't realize that their identity is, and I'm speaking in broad terms, built on being opposed to sort of some Christian tenets and saying that Christianity isn't moral enough, isn't loving enough. Um, So obviously there's a need to engage. um, But I'm curious where you think, you know, just generally most people should be focusing their energy. Most people who aren't going to be an Alistair McGrath um, or something like that, uh, is it predominantly an intellectual issue? Is it predominantly a relational issue? Mm. Um, yeah, just tell me what you think. Yeah, oh, that's a, well, that's a, that's a, great, that's a great question. And I'll, 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 all I can do is tell you what I think. I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in this area. I, I, I think that traditionally, um, I want to. I guess I'll probably speak outside of you know both sides of my mouth here at the same time. But I think traditionally, apologetics has been seen very much as a um, as an intellectual effort, uh, an intellectual project. And I, I think that there is a real place, uh, for, um, just kind of doing a timeout with people, um, and saying, does truth matter? Um, does, does it, does it matter? Um, does this, you know, the fact that if you're walking next to a cliff and, and there's this thing called gravity, is that, is that something that, is that you want to know about in your life? I mean, is that is yeah. that so true? So, so on the one hand, I want to say I think because I think it can be kind of popular or or, or just sort of um, somewhat what's the word uh, um, cool uh, to uh, today to kind of d- to to make light or to to marginalize apologetics that speak to just actual the truth of of a certain you know a certain truth or truth in general the idea of hey Christianity has the truth. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to marginalize that because I think some people do saying there is a place to actually say, Hey, w- what is true here? What, what, what did happen? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? What, what, what were, uh, you know, that's a really classic example, right? Yeah. Jesus resurrection. So I, all those things are, are, I want to affirm those. I want to do those, but I also would just say, I do think that, I do think that Christianity is not, um, this may sound a little bit, um, Maybe I'm being a little too strong here, but I, I, when it comes to the term worldview, I think that has that's a term that can have strengths, but it can also have weaknesses, as if to say that somehow Christianity is mm-hmm. is has all the answers, and yeah. and it just boy, it just doesn't, and I don't think it needs to. In fact, I think if it did, it, it I just think that the fact that it doesn't actually makes it stronger as as in its appeal. I think that um, the author of Ecclesiastes is a great example of someone who. Um, who is is who is uh, very much aware of the limitations of what he knows and doesn't know, and uh, is wrestling with that. I mean, there's a lot more going on there, but so I, I just so I think that um, it's it's a mistake. It would be unwise to present Christianity as this sort of here where we have all the answers, and I, I tend to I would want to say that humans are. Um, very much worshipers. We 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 always have something or someone that we're trusting most, that we're loving most, that we're desiring most, that we're fearing most. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's instructive, even that the Old Testament speaks of, um, 
you know, of people and uh, people of faith or the, the people of God as, as those who fear God, you know, in terms of reverence or awe. Um, as people who, you know, all the time, the psalmist will speak of, of, of the people of God as seekers or desirers of God, uh, pursuers of God. And so I think when you think along those lines, what, you know, humans are made to desire. They're made to fear, to revere, yeah. to be in awe. They're made, they're made for the transcendent. In fact, they're made actually for things that they don't understand, like the, the, the awe, the, the transcendent, the, 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 the aesthetic, the, the sense of beauty. And so I think um, that uh, that you know in, in doing apologetics, that there's um, there's a tremendous place today I think for the aesthetic, and for the, um, the the emotive and that which pulls at our hearts. You know, the sort of Pascal line, the reasons of the heart uh, yeah. that, that are there. So those are just I mean, and certainly I mean I I, I mean hands down practically in terms of just ministry. I, to me, like there's, there's, there's no great, and this is just to me, John said, this is like, you know, John 14 through 17. I mean, there's just no replacement for strong community. I mean, if a yeah. church has a lot of just really strong local community, uh, right. It's first Corinthians 14, where the non-Christian comes into the people of God and says, surely God is among you. Not because yeah. of an argument, not because of, but, but, but by, the ministry of, of the word to one another, the ministry of just a love and and uh, concern. So I, I just, to me, hands down, every, every day of the week and twice on Sunday, like it's going to be yeah. the community of faith functioning as God intended. That is going to be this undeniable reality that something's just very different here. Yeah, man, I think that's huge. Um, thank you. That's a great answer. And 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 at the end there, I, I think um, when it comes down to community, one one kind of funny, very you know, typical of God's mo, I think, aspect that emerges from that is that uh, you don't have to be a master, you know, incredibly eloquent, um, you know, philosopher or theologian to be a. a apologetically gifted person you just have to die to yourself that is so uh taylor that's such a profound point i mean i think you know sometimes, i mean one of the things that we do in our service almost every week uh is we that we will recite the summary of the law where yeah. you know where jesus you know when, when, when jesus is asked you know what are the greatest commandments what are the the foremost the the, the ones that are really that really matter and, the, and those are the most, you, you, what you might say, uh, inclusive commandments that, that anyone, in a sense, this doesn't require, it's not, you don't have to be sort of a certain class, a certain um, academic ability or, or, or skill. These are things I can love God and love neighbor, no matter, no one can stop me from loving my yeah. neighbor. No one can stop me from loving God. I can do that anytime, any place, anywhere, whether I'm you know, regardless of age, et cetera. So there's, um, there's a wonderful freedom to know that whatever my circumstances, nothing can keep me from doing what, um, what God wants me to do most. And, uh, and so I think, yeah, love of neighbor is, you're right. It doesn't take this skill set or this personality type or whatever. So yeah, that's so true. Yeah. It's good. It's good news, but it's, it's hard news too. Cause it, oh, uh, it sure. removes the excuse. Yeah. Yeah, sure. No, yeah. it's, um, wow, that that's awesome, man! I I want to respect your time because you are on the ministry grind. So I think uh, I think we I think we put a good shift in, man. I think that'll work for great. us. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> uh, my guest here is Bruce Clark. Uh, let me say real quick: your website is um, goodshepherdpca.org, right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, goodshepherdpca.org. Again, that's the Presbyterian Church in America. If you are looking for a Presbyterian Church and you're in America, boy, yeah. you're in luck. Um, they're awesome. Yeah, uh, in South County, uh, St. Louis, doing a lot of great stuff. My friend Juan goes there, so there's, you know, at least one, you know, pretty cool dude in the congregation. Um, I'm sure there's more than one, but that's yeah. the And then Hope Unbroken. Hope Unbroken at WordPress is your blog, right? That's right, yeah. Hopeunbroken.com, yep. And what what do you kind of blog about? Um, you know, I brought a lot of stuff. I mean, I'm all over the place. You know, I've, I've just because of, of life and ministry and things like that, and I was this past fall, I was teaching at the seminary, et cetera, I haven't been blogging. But most recently, I think uh, is, there's a blog post that just gives sort of a, an overview or a bibliography of maybe 30 books on race and racism. 
that in Project Act, obviously it's Black History Month, and uh, if you would like to, you could you can go on that the that on the the blog, and you'll see just a quote unquote bibliography of mm. of thirty books or I'm going to say twenty five thirty books that I've read on race and racism that are all over the map, um, everything from um, wow. everything from like historical books, uh, biographies, memoirs, uh, to uh, issues of um, law enforcement and, and racism. So there's just all books of all kinds of backgrounds. In fact, one of them is is our, our church is reading together this this month. It's called um, Celia, a Slave. It's a very moving account of um, a troll, a very tragic and moving account of a young teenage slave here, actually here in Missouri, uh, in the 1850s, who was purchased. And um, but it tells tells her wow. story and gives the uh, all the actors really fascinating. Each, each one chapter is about her story and her re um, re rebuilding or, or sort of creating this uh, this uh, account of her life and her tragic uh, experiences. I mean, just awful, horrific experiences as a slave. Yeah. And then every yeah. the, the rest of the chapters in between are about um, just giving the social and political background. But it's the kind of book that should be made into a movie. I mean, seriously, it's yeah. an incredible read. So, it's, again, it's called Celia, a Slave. And we're reading that as a church, and we'll have a book discussion at the end of the month. But um, but if you – so that's just like one example. You can go on, you'll see a uh, – a blog post just got. Um, I, I took about two years and just just, just read a ton yeah. on race and racism, and, and such an That's important awesome. such an important issue in our culture yeah. today. So, which I wouldn't. I'm not going to suggest I'm an expert in it at all, but I, it's something yeah. that I wanted to be to be. Um, you know, I felt very much a sense of obligation to to understand and, and to know and, and to, uh, to to listen and uh, know what I need to own and confess and, and uh, so yeah. so there's an example. There's some other just so it's all over the place. Um, there's you'll find all kinds of just r- random uh, posts on there. Yeah, awesome. Well, man, that's twenty five thirty books on probably a premier issue. Not probably a premier issue in our culture. So that's yeah, not a bad start. Uh, it's hope unbroken at WordPress, and then Good Shepherd PCA is the website again. Um, My name is Taylor Daniel. You are listening to the Nobody's Podcast, or you were, because we are done putting out premiere content for this week. My guest has been Bruce Clark. Um, Thank you so much for joining us, Bruce. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, great, Taylor. Yeah, likewise. It's been a real real joy. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, we look forward to uh, having you guys join us for the next episode. Head over to deadmenstuff.com uh, for all the ebooks, articles, and swaggy merchandise that you could ever hope to find. So, anyway, until then, peace out. You've been listening to the Nobody's Podcast. For more articles, ebooks, videos, and other Christ centered resources like this one, please visit deadmenstuff.com. Email us at info at deadmenstuff.com. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. If our ministry has impacted you in any way, please prayerfully consider donating to our Patreon campaign. You can find that at patreon.com slash deadmenstuff. This episode has been brought to you by The Implications of Faith by Craig Miller. Jesus saves. All that is required from us is faith. But what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? Is it simply to believe in Him and what He has done on our behalf? Or is it something more? In The Implications of Faith, Craig Miller explores the necessary relationship between what we claim to believe and how we live our lives. If you're interested in this book, please go to Amazon.com and you can order both paperback and Kindle versions. Uh, You can also visit DeadMenStuff.com.